Jesus goes, hey, I got an idea. I've got this amazing idea. How about you give me your sin and I'll impute my righteousness to you. We'll call it the great exchange. I'll make you holy in the presence of God. You'll now have a new life. You'll be dressed in righteousness. You'll be clothed in who I am. And now you can walk in holiness and you'll never be the same again. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Holy Father, we come before you And you are holy. There is none like you. And so as we bow before you, O God, would you speak? Would you illuminate? Would you do the work only you can do, O God? So Father, I simply pray as I yield myself to you, Would you speak? May these not be human words. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guard my mind, my heart, and my tongue. That, Lord, I pray we would hear from you. So, Father, clothe us right now in your spiritual armor. Help us to see the true treasure of the beauty of the gospel. Lord, I pray we'd fall in love with the word. And, Father, you're the only one that can do that. And so as we collectively surrender to you right now, may you receive the praise. May you receive the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at one verse today, verse 8. And this is the conclusion of our study uh, regarding uh, submission and what that looks like and the challenges with that. We've studied in the home, we've studied in society, and now all of a sudden, here we are at one verse, verse 8, and, and Peter puts the, the big red bow on this, so to speak. And this is what he says through the power of the Holy Spirit by that illumination, First Peter Chapter 3, verse 8, as we look at the title of five keys to biblical living. Five keys to biblical living. Here it is. Finally, all of you have, have what? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. And lastly, a humble mind. How many are here today by a show of hands that 
you would like to live a life that is more surrendered to Christ, that is more biblical as you obey Him. Anyone besides me that wants to press into that? I know I do. I am hungry for that. I, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more conformed to His holiness. And I've learned this as kind of the cliff notes to this. I never stumble into that by accident. I just don't wake up one day and go, wow, how'd I get here? True faith in Christ is not passive, it's active. It's an active faith that says that I'm in for the cause of the gospel, I've been totally redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, my life is no longer my own, therefore what I want to do is I just want to die empty of self to go make a difference because the selfish life is a life where you get to the end and you're all alone. But the life that you give away for the gospel, but a life that you surrender for the cause and advancement of the gospel, is not a life that you look back on and say, well, that was a waste. Boy, I missed the parties. I missed the fun. You'll never look at that. You will be so filled. You will be so full of joy in the Lord because it really is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. And that verse, by the way, is just not talking about finances. There's something about giving your life away. And here, Peter, at the end of this section, he goes, finally, he's basically saying this, listen up, listen up. I want to give you something. I want to give you some meat is what he's saying. I'm going to give you something that, that when life hits, that when the struggles mount, when the pressures begin to cave in on the walls of your lives that you won't bend, buckle, and break. But you will stand tall for the gospel. And he says, finally. I mean, typically when someone writes you a letter, I don't know if you guys still do those things, letters, pieces of paper, has kind of that contraption with like a little door that folds over. You lick it, put a stamp on it, you know. We used to do those things. Maybe it's an email. Now it's what a text. But when we would write a letter, you might say, lastly. You might say, in conclusion. You might say, finally. And you typically didn't read those words and go, oh, you know, I'm going to take a nap on this. I think I don't need to read this last part. No, you actually anticipated. You're like, this is very important. This is mission critical. There's something very, very deep here that, that I must understand and learn. That's exactly the point of that word finally here. Peter's saying don't tune out. He's saying actually tune in even more. Lean in even more. Dig in even more. Finally, all of you. So how many are excluded from all of us? Well, none of us, amen? So he's saying all of you, us, the reader then, have... It means this, to exhibit or to obtain, to live out. So do we got this? He's saying, warning, warning, listen up, listen up. Finally, finally, all of you, no one's excluded. Have these five things in your life, not just when God is going your way and life seems good, 
No, have these things in your life as an outflow regardless of how life is going. What's the first one? Unity of mind. Unity of mind. It simply means this, to think the same way. It's hard to be unified around nothing. The whole point of being unified is that you are unified around something. And so often we get this backwards. We go, let's pursue unity, but we don't know what we're unifying around. Biblical unity is centered around the Bible. Matter of fact, I want you to write down this key number one in your notes. So here's key number one. Never sacrifice the truth on the altar of unity. Let me say that again. Never sacrifice the truth, biblical truth, on the altar of unity. Jesus didn't say that it's the unity that will set you free. Jesus didn't say that I am the way, the unity, and the life. There is something about truth. Now, the truth offends. Now, the truth doesn't draw a crowd. Well, we get that. We understand that. But we know this. It's the truth of God's Word that will set the captives free. There are people all over our country today, even sitting inside of churches, that are sitting in a prison. They are held captive. They are walking and living in darkness. And Jesus goes, hey, I'm the light of the world. And you've got to remember that in John 6, 66, it's not in your notes, but what a crazy verse to remember, amen? John 6, 66. Then many of his disciples, then many of his disciples walked with him no more, it says. These followers that were after him said, now the cost is too high. You're just too truthful. We're too offended by you. And they bailed ship. Now, hearing God's Word, we see so clearly that biblical unity is only possible when we are unified around the truth of God's Word. But so often people are feasting on spiritual junk food. I mean, I like a great brownie, amen? A good chocolate chip cookie. But if that's all that I eat... I am feeding my body things that it craves, but not what it needs. So many people are spiritually feeding their bodies, their minds, their hearts, their souls, what they want to hear, itching ears, right? And the Bible says, no, it's the truth of God's Word. It's the truth that will do the work in the human heart. It's the truth today that in that family dynamic that is broken and fractured, that it's the truth that will get in there, that will dive deep, and can do the restorative work that only it can do. But if you have one person that's not hungry for the truth of God's Word, and one that is, it's going to be hard to be unified. 
It's just the way it works. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. What does that even mean? Well, here's what it means. He knew that he's the truth. He knew he's the light, and he knew that people were not going to like it. He is the Prince of Peace. Amen? He is. But he also knows that the truth is going to offend. And here Peter is saying, look, you've got to have unity of mind. There is something about what we put in our minds as we feast on God's Word. When we finally know what's true, we will then know from God's Word what's false. But if we're not in the book, if we're not in the truth, day by day, minding the Scriptures, just like this morning from Proverbs chapter 2, it says this, give attentive ears to wisdom. Seek her as silver. Run hard after her. Do you see the intentionality? Do you see the action? Do you see the non-passivity? Do you see the lack of apathy and indifference? There's action in the true believer's life that says, I want this. I want to be more like Christ. I want to become more holy. I'm willing to climb up on the altar and say, God, I want you to do the work in my life. And yet, the reality is, not all people embrace that. I was thinking of John 17. I write that down in supporting verses there. John 17, 17 through 19. It's the 26 action-packed verses of the high priestly prayer. And it's just amazing. Read it later. But here's what Jesus says. He says, sanctify them in what church? Truth. What is truth? Anyone know? Well, look at the next part of the verse. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Why? That they also may be sanctified, made holy, set apart in truth. So often we're trying to unite all over our country but we're uniting around things that are not of the Lord. Matter of fact, it's entirely, I believe this, it's entirely possible to say that we are for the things of God, but actually be against the things of God. Who wants to be holy? Hey, that's great. You know, what do you guys think about obedience? Oh, it's amazing. What do you think about righteousness? Woohoo! But then we say, hey, who wants to actually go do it? We must never sacrifice, ever, ever sacrifice the truth on the altar of unity. We see that going on all over our country today. It's a scheme from the enemy. It's the truth that will set us free. Amen, church? And we stand on the Word of God. It was once said that the only way for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing what a powerful thought that is. And A. Hodge went on to say in another quote, he says, it's easier to find a score of men wise enough to discover the truth than to find just one intrepid enough in the face of opposition to stand for it. And Wilberforce warned, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. 
end quote. There is something powerful about the truth of God's Word, amen? I love the Word of God. I love the Word. To feast on it, as I mentioned from Proverbs 2 this morning, and just thinking about that wisdom and, and seeking and listening and, and just running hard after it. And then verse 5 says this of Proverbs 2, it says, then you will know the fear of the Lord. As you seek, as you listen, as you're attentive, as you're, you're hungry for it, you will then know the fear of the Lord. That's number one. Number two is this, sympathy. Sympathy. What is sympathy? Well, sympathy is a compassion. It's feeling sorry for someone as they go through genuine difficulty. Make a note of the word genuine. I'm going to explain that here in just a minute, but here's key number two. Write this down in your notes. Key number two. Biblical sympathy is feeling genuine sorrow for someone when they're hurting. Biblical sympathy is feeling genuine sorrow for someone when they're hurting. Going back to this unity of mind. See, everything's an outflow of the unity of mind. And so, again, when the truth is on trial, when the truth tellers are on trial, it's real tempting to go hunker in the bunker. Amen? I mean, it's real tempting, right? When the truth and the truth tellers are on trial, it's real tempting to go hunker in the bunker. And part of this outreach, if you will, part of this testimony as we're having unity of mind is to realize that we all are sinful, we all live in these bodies of death, and we all make stupid, dumb decisions. Amen? Me at the top of the list. And there will be a sympathy, a genuine sympathy. Now, it's different from empathy. Empathy is where you put yourself in the situation, and you understand. Like, you're there, you get it. Maybe it's a crisis in a family, you've walked that road, now you've got a brother or sister, they're in that same situation, and you just don't have genuine sorrow for them. You're like, I get this. I understand the burden that you're carrying, and I know it's heavy, and I know it's weighty. And you come alongside. No, this is sympathy first. But I want to make sure we understand this because this is a, a deep biblical truth. This is a deep biblical truth. There are people that will claim to be hurting, but they're actually manipulators. And what happens when you come across these people is that they will milk the system, so to speak, right? They will play you like a fiddle. They will play you like a deck of Uno cards. And then when they are done, or when they're about to be unmasked, they will drop you like a bad transmission. This is talking about genuine sorrow. This phrase here of sympathy in the original language, it's genuine hurt, genuine sorrow. So in that context, in the genuine sorrow we have a brother or sister here that's hurting. They're going through a hard time. We come alongside, amen? That's what you do. I mean, you have that sympathy. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 12, write this down, says this verse, 26. Very powerful. Listen to this from Paul. If one member suffers, church, how many suffer? Do we know? All. If one member suffers, if you're here today and you are a part of our fellowship, whether you're a member or a guest, 
and you're truly hurting, we actually want to hurt with you, if that makes sense. Because when you have a bunch of people hurting with you in your genuine hurt, with a hurt at least seems lighter, doesn't it? There's something about it. There's a compassion there. Number one is unity of mind. Number two is sympathy. Number three, here it is, brotherly love. And again, this is just reading from verse 8, one after another. Brotherly love. It's a genuine love for the brothers, the fellow believers, the sisters. We have a genuine love. Uh, Love, again, is not just happy-sappy. Sometimes you love people enough to tell them the truth. That's real love. That's hard. But again, you're driving over a bridge and there's a hump in the bridge and, and you can't see the other side of the bridge, but you know the bridge is out. Would you truthfully, as you saw someone begin to drive towards that bridge, just say, hey, see you later. Hope it all works out. Have a nice flight. Like, is that what you're going to say to them? Of course you wouldn't. You'd say, bridge is out. You can't go over that. And yet so many times, because of the fear of man, we, we bend, buckle, and break, and we allow people to spiritually just drive over bridges. No, brotherly love, it's a genuine love that loves even in difficult circumstances. Key number three, write this down. Here it is, key number three. Biblical love is desiring the best for someone regardless of how it impacts you. Key number three, biblical love is desiring the best for someone regardless of how it impacts you. So there might be times where they get to take the vacation that you've been waiting, you know, 19 years to take and the envy, jealousy, demon is like hanging out between your ears and you're trying to smile like a Christian, but you hope they get a flat tire, right? Don't judge me. You know exactly we've had those thoughts, amen? And it's, but we praise Jesus on the other hand, right? I mean, that's kind of how this thing works. And even though it impacts me negatively, I should love that person for what's best for them. You're both up for the job promotion, and they get it and you don't. Oh, it's really easy with teeth that are gritted together with super glue to try to force a congratulations, right? And have it be genuine. This is the stuff that Peter's talking about because you got to remember they're being persecuted, they're Many of them are dispersed, and so he's saying your life is already hard. And in the midst of this, finally, last thing, I'm going to tell you something so mission critical. Have unity of mind. Think the same thing. Have a sympathy and a real compassion. Have a brotherly love that, you know what, I actually want to outserve you. Not for a, you know, applause, give me a plaque, give me a blue ribbon. No, this is just out of an outflow of union to Christ. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. 
In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Matter of fact, if you write down Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says just that. Romans 12, verse 10. And by the way, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. Paul now writes to the church in Rome, love one another with brotherly affection. Here it is, outdo one another in showing honor. Like outdo. Like just, you push people to the front, right? Now that's hard in our culture today, right? Because we live in a culture where even inside a home, the me monster takes over. The meism that we're in. The doctrine of self. And it's so easy to fall prey, to be tempted, to be lured, to be baited, to be seduced into the meism that is all over the place. That's why we're so passionate about the Word of God here, that we know that the more that I and you are in this glorious book, the less we're going to do the devil's bidding. There's just something about the guardrails of Scripture. It refreshes the soul, it encourages, but it also illuminates truth that when we see error, when we see deception, that we will quickly, quickly, like that CIA agent who is trained within a millisecond to see the counterfeit $100 bill, when we're out there in life and we see all the counterfeits, all the traps that are around there, we will identify it and go, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I don't want any part of that. And we will flee the youthful lusts, as the Bible says, that war, that wage war against our souls. Number four, here it is, a tender heart. A tender heart. I know for us dudes, this doesn't sound real macho. God's not looking for macho. He's looking for obedience a tender heart. What does that mean? It's a soft, pliable heart, not a, not a callous, not a hard heart, not a dark heart, not a rebellious heart, not a stiff-necked heart, not a spiritually diseased heart, a soft, pliable heart, a tender heart. That's why key number four is this. Proud hearts divide. Tender hearts unite. Key number four, proud hearts divide. Tender hearts unite. There is something about tender versus proud. The Proverbs chapter 22 verse 10 says it like this, drive out a scoffer, the prideful, arrogant person, and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Proverbs 27, 19, as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Wow. And lastly, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. How? as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know about you, but let me read that one more time, that last phrase there in Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Does anyone else read that and go, wow, the bar is really high. 
like I'm to forgive you, you're to forgive me as God through Christ has forgiven us. Powerful. That's why the love and the unity of mind and the sympathy have to go hand in hand to be tender-hearted. Have you ever met someone that there's just a, a darkness in their life? That when they walk in the room, the darkness comes with them? And then when they leave the room, the darkness leaves? I'll never forget that instant years ago. Years ago, I was actually at an evangelism training, and as I'm at the evangelism training, this person came in, and there was just something off that you could just sense the darkness. And after it was over, they asked if they could use the phone to make a phone call. So the office area was opened up, and I just happened to stroll a short distance behind. And they picked up the phone, they dialed the phone, they were talking to someone, and they said, yeah, I'll be there in a little bit. And then they said this phrase, and I'm bringing Satan with me. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. They were attending an evangelism gathering, but you could sense the darkness. It reminds me of that old phrase that when the wolf gets in the sheep's pen, who decides what's for lunch? It's amazing the battle between darkness and light. But church, we got great hope, amen? This is the awesome part of this. We stand for the truth of God's Word. We stand for the light of the Gospel. And we know this, that the light can never, hear me clearly from God's Word, the light can never be overcome by the darkness. And what a glorious reminder. I mean, that should just infuse you with courage today. I don't know what's on your horizon, the struggles, the challenges, but you know this, that if you are a true child of King Jesus, He's for you and not against you. Greater is He that's within you, the power of the Holy Spirit, than He, the enemy that's in the world. But we have this tender heart. Lastly, number five, a humble mind. A humble mind. It means lowliness of mind. Thinking of others more than ourselves. Putting others first. Being courteous. Have you noticed this, by the way? Did you pick up on these five things that we're studying today? That there's, number one, a, a unity of mind that's bookended by a humble mind. Wow, not good? You'll never have true unity of mind unless you have a humble mind. And here, when we study this together, our last key is key number five, and it says this. Ever-growing humility is a defining mark of the grace of God in a person's life. Let me say that again. Key number five. Ever-growing. Do you notice ever-growing? Ever-growing humility is a defining mark of the grace of God in a person's life. It's kind of like a stamp, if you will. 
It's crystal clear in that person's life. A prideful Christian is a contradiction in terms. It doesn't exist. And yet so many who claim Christ are walk in pride. See, the reality is if you're truly, if I'm truly walking in the Lord and the ways of the Lord, He at some point is going to break us down and He's going to strip us of all of our idols. That's part of the process of growing in Him. A holy life is a humble life, we could say. A prideful life is a life that's actually at war with God. Going to war against God. And the, the simplest way I can try to explain this is that when we walk in humility, we come to this conclusion that the only thing that we have to offer God is our sin. I mean, what a great place to be in my life and your life that the only thing that we offer Him is, God, here's my sin. And Jesus goes, hey, I got an idea. I got this amazing idea. How about you give me your sin and I'll impute my righteousness to you. We'll call it the great exchange. I'll make you holy in the presence of God. You'll now have a new life. You'll be dressed in righteousness. You'll be clothed in who I am. And now you can walk in holiness and you'll never be the same again. That's the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. I was thinking of Philippians chapter 2. If There are so many instances in Scripture of humility, but Philippians 2 verse 3, it says this. Listen closely. Do nothing. Nothing, church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? But God's Word commands me. John, do nothing. Zero. Have a zero tolerance, John, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count, consider, reckon others more significant than yourselves. And then, of course, James 3.16 that we've studied before. Warning, warning. If you're one in ever-growing humility in your life, it's going to be that defining mark of grace in your life. But here's the warning, whether it's a home, business, ball team, or church, if you're struggling today in any of those entities, I can assure you there's some James 3.16 going on. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be. It means this in the original, take that check to the bank and it's going to cash. There will be disorder and every vile practice. One translation says it like this, there's going to be confusion and every evil thing. In your home, take your home for instance, if you've got a parent, you have a child that if they're pursuing selfishness, if they're dealing with great envy and jealousy, they're bringing that into the home, it's now poisoning the whole home. And no wonder there's chaos, confusion. Right seems wrong and wrong seems right. Crossing the double line in the center of the road, so to speak. We got out of lightness, now we're in darkness. We think we're still in the light because we can somehow see the light, but we're running smack dab into a tractor trailer called darkness. That's the warning that Peter gives us here. Five simple seemingly simple attributes 
unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender-hearted, and a humble mind. You know, the warning on this, though, really buttons up from John chapter 14, verse 9, part A. And I want you to listen to this. Listen to this warning. John 14, 9a, Jesus said to him, talking to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? What a glaring warning to us today. Jesus says, Philip, I've been with you so long (laughs) and you really don't know me. And oh, how my heart breaks today for so many people that claim Christ and the reality is they've been around Him, but they don't really know Him and He doesn't know them. It kind of reminds me of yesterday. I'm I'm out there and I'm cutting the grass and there was a bunch of weeds. I don't know if you guys have that problem in your yard, but there were weeds and there were a lot of them and I was running out of time, and I thought, well, you know, i got a couple options here. I can begin to dig these things up, which I'm going to be here for probably at least 40 days and 40 nights. Or I can just run over them with a lawnmower. Yeah. So I took option B. And it's amazing when you set the deck at a certain height, and you run over the weeds, you no longer see the weeds. But they're still there. And I think a lot of people are so seduced in our culture that I don't really want the truth. Give me something that, you know, will make me feel good. And so let's just chop off the weeds at the top and not take the effort to pull them out by the roots. And as I pondered that yesterday, I thought about this quote. KEC said it like this, I have yet to meet one person who is steadfastly feasting upon God's Word that chooses to constantly rebel against God. An open Bible and a softened heart foster a longing for the truth. And people hungry for truth are eager to receive the teaching of God's Word. As Christians, we ought to be the best truth tellers and the best truth receivers. We've been bought with price, rescued through the truth Himself. Jesus Christ. How unkind to skirt around it scared to offend or to lose friends when the truth is the only thing that will set them free. Oh, church, my heart just weeps because there's so many people that are just content to live in the shallow end of the Jesus pool. Oh, I pray today that we will be the people, that we will set the tone, from 1 Peter 3.8 to go make a difference 
to rest in Christ, to realize that it all ties back to Jesus, amen, that our hope today is in Christ. Do you believe that? I believe that today. I know this, that our Jesus, the Christ, that He is not dead, but He is fully alive, amen? Do you believe that today, church? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Do you believe that no matter what you're dealing with today, whatever the struggle, the heartache, the pain, the disappointments, the setbacks, do you believe, I'm asking you, do you believe that Jesus can conquer whatever you're going through today? I believe it too. We're not hoping for a victory. We operate from the victory, amen? Because great is His faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we come before You. Lord, we worship You. We just bow before You in humble obedience. Lord, may we offer up to You a sacrifice of praise. Father, in this time, Holy Spirit, will You move? Will You stir? Will You refresh? Father, I pray for that that dad in the room today that may be struggling. That husband that's struggling. That young man that's struggling. Lord, I just pray. I pray for them right now. Father, I lift up that mom, that wife, that single woman, that young woman, Lord. I lift them up to You right now. No matter what they're dealing with today, God, I pray they would know that You are an ever-present help in time of need. And God, we go through so many heartaches and so many troubles in this life and God, sometimes we just cry out to You, Oh Lord, why do the wicked prosper? We cry out to You, Oh Lord, vindicate Your holy name. And yet God, we know that when we stand for truth, people will hate us. We know that we will be reviled and rejected. But you command us to rejoice. So give us a joy that only comes from you in the midst of the battle. Not focused on human things, but we set our minds on things above. Holiness, obedience, righteousness. Oh Father, will you stir in this place today? God, remind us that decades of living in denial will never remove the spiritual weeds. At some point, we have to get out of denial. And by Your power, by Your strength, by Your enabling Holy Spirit, we root out the weeds by the roots. So help us, Lord. We're too weak. We're too feeble. Move in our hearts today, O Father. Strengthen us, O Lord. Encourage our hearts. Remind us that just like developing relationships with other people, 
It takes effort. So does the relationship with you, Jesus. Give us courage right now to go below the surface of window shopping Christianity. Give us courage right now to go below the surface of kicking the tires Christianity and to dive deep into the holiness of King Jesus. Oh, Father, as we commit this time to You, may You work in my heart, may You work in every heart here today. To You be the praise, to You be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.